We're continuing our series on perspective. And we've talked about how having the right frame of mind and the right viewpoint can take us from a position of defeat to one of victory, can give us clarity in how we are supposed to live our lives. And originally I was going to try and talk about the church and the Bible and our perspective on those things, but I just felt it was too much to try and cover at one time, especially when I talk about the Bible, I want to make sure that I'm really clear on the things that I want to say. So we're going to talk about the church this morning and our perspective on what church is. It's kind of funny how we can become very arrogant when it comes to how things are done, that our way is the right way. I know when you're cooking, I say you're cooking because I don't cook. If you're cooking and how you serve pasta or what other dish you might serve, if your grandmother gave you the recipe, this is the right way to do this dish. Why? Because this is how our family has done it. And for some reason, our way becomes the way that we want to be predominantly or we want to see predominantly take place. And the same thing's true even in church. I can remember when I went to Wales and there was this incredible just connection with this young group of people. More than I'd ever seen in any kind of short-term what we call mission trip. And as we went there and connected with all these kids, these skaters, and started interacting with them, the work that developed from them was taking place at skate parks. And then the, the gentleman and the family that was there actually living in Wales and starting a church, they started meeting at a Starbucks and they would have 15 or so of these kids meet there at the Starbucks. But because they were used to having a building when they were here in the United States. That's what they pursued. They asked for the church that was sponsoring them to give them money, and then they left the area where all the kids were at, which I didn't understand, and they got a building over in this area, and no one went to the building. There were more people going to Starbucks and meeting than were going Sunday morning to the building. But because this is the way they were used to doing it, they tried to make it happen, and it just didn't work. And a lot of times I think our perception as maybe Americans or even maybe as Christians, we can have a viewpoint and we think this is the way things are supposed to be done. This is what church is. It starts with music, and then it moves to announcements, sort of. And then, and then there's supposed to be a message, a sermon, a preaching, and then maybe you're used to there's supposed to be an altar call. There's someone supposed to give you an invitation to come forward and follow Jesus while they're playing sweetly in the background. I mean, it depends how you've grown up, what your viewpoint is, but this becomes now our focus of what, quote, church is supposed to be like. And I think that perception has caused a lot of 
problems because it is so far removed from what it originally was. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And so here, Jesus gives this proclamation as Peter announces, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, on this truth, I am going to build my church. And the word church is the word ecclesia in the Greek. And the word means a purposeful gathering of people. That's the word church that you find throughout the New Testament. It is this word in the Greek, and this is the meaning of the word, a purposeful gathering of people. And so we know that in our society and throughout recent history, church has become a place that you go to. And there's a reason for that. But originally, it was a gathering of people. And when the early followers of Christ started getting together, they didn't have a building. They wouldn't rent a place like we do. They wouldn't even build a structure because they were going through incredible persecution. So most of the time, they would meet in houses. They started in synagogues, but then they got kicked out of the synagogues, persecuted, and moved into homes, and they were actually secretly meeting in homes. Jesus even started telling them to go to other people's homes. Remember when he sent them out, go into the homes. They didn't ask people to come to their place. They actually went to where the people were. And so a group of followers in Christ in a small town would meet at somebody's house and it would be secret. That's why they would put that ichthus, that fish symbol. It was a symbol so that they understood, okay, this is where followers of Christ are meeting. That way they could get together and so this small gathering of people would meet because of fear of persecution. Some places where it was more readily accepted, there would be a home that everyone would know, though that's where they would meet. That's where they would gather, and they might even paint a mural or something on the wall, but that was about it. They didn't have the big structures that we have today or that we've seen throughout history. But then something happened, very major. In 314 A.D., 313 A.D., Constantine, the emperor of Rome, 
became a follower of Christ. This is huge because Caesar was God. And now you have a a Caesar saying that Jesus is God. And so this changes everything. And you would think, well, that's a great thing, right? No. This became an incredible... Well, there's great things that came out of it, but there were problematic things that came out of it too. One of the good things that came out of it was the canonization of Scripture that we'll talk about next week. How the... Writings became verifiable, the ones that were sacred. But what happened now is there was this huge shift because the emperor is now a follower of Christ. Now it is the cool thing to do. Now it is the accepted thing to do. Now all the elite are becoming followers of Christ and the elite have money. And so pretty soon... This movement moves into a building and it starts to occupy different territory. And so the Roman word, they called it a basilica or in the Latin, it was a public building or official meeting place. So all of a sudden you had these people who were at one time meeting in homes. Yep, I did that. There's a house. We're meeting in homes. All of a sudden started building structures where they could meet at because now this is something more important. And so I'm not sure exactly what the structures look like, but here's my church symbol so that you know it's a building. They started meeting over there instead. And now it became a prominent thing. If you were a follower of Jesus, you went to the building, the basilica. And that became now the meeting place where you went. It was actually known. And they would decorate it and it would become more ornate. The the saints, the early saints used to go to the gravesides of those who were martyred. There's a graveside. And they would take communion there at the graveside. They would remember these people, remember the promise of the resurrection And so they would have little gatherings even in the graveside. And so what now happened is they took the bones of those saints who had died and they buried them at the basilica because this is now becoming a sacred and holy place. Everything needed to take place at the house there, at the meeting place. And so there was a big shift. And even in the... German culture that became very well known at this time, the word that was used was the Kirche or Kircha. And Kircha is where we get our word church. It's actually a translation from the German word Kircha, church, and it means house of the Lord. And so within one decade after Constantine says, I am a follower of Christ and Christianity is now the religion of the people. Within one decade, Christianity moved from this movement to a building and became now something identified with the place where people would meet. So much so that everything that was to take place, would take place in the building. 
If you were to have communion, it had to take place at the building. If you were going to worship, it had to take place at the building, at the kircha, at the church. And so the movement of people now became engulfed in this facility. And over the next decades, there are just some horrific things that took place. There was not the wealth of Scripture that we have today and enjoy. Scripture was translated to the Latin Vulgate. Only a few people were able to actually read and have that. In fact, the church became the place where you would find any copy of the Scriptures. They would actually chain the Bibles to the pulpit. That's where the scriptures were. They were only in the Latin. Only certain people could read them. And if you wanted to hear about the scriptures, now you had to go to the building. And it became a place now where there was power. See, whoever controlled the building controlled the church because that's where the Bible was. That's where the sacred events took place. And whoever controlled the people and the building now had power. And so there became this incredible just corruption of power that took place in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden we have the crusades that are trying to conquer people and nation with a sword in the name of Jesus. From about a thousand A.D. to about 1430 A.D. We have the Crusades for 400 years. You have the Spanish Inquisition. Again, the Roman Church from about 1480 to 1830 A.D. That became so domineering that if you were a Muslim or a Jew, you either had to be converted or you were exiled. And this became the mentality. Now think about that mentality. If you don't become a part of us, we're going to kick you out compared to this mentality that was trying to bring everyone in. And so we see a shift because of the power that was taking place, this control of the people, this control of the information, this control of the message of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is Jesus' words, the gates of Hades will not prevail. The idea here is not that we are under attack. You see, gates don't attack. Gates are there to defend or, or to stop someone from entering in. And the idea that Jesus is portraying here is that the church is not going to be confined and will not be stopped. That the gates of Hades will not keep the church from accomplishing its purpose. And what's more amazing to me than the church surviving the persecution of the first 300 years is the church surviving the corruption of power that took place for decades afterwards. See, that's the amazing thing. 
That's the amazing thing, is that in spite of the corruption, there is always a remnant that remains the gatherers, those who are following Christ and not becoming a part of a building, an organization, and a structure that are not being controlled by men, but are being controlled and moved by God. And so that's the amazing thing. And then something happened here. In about 1453, the Ottoman Empire conquered Constantinople, the capital of the Roman Empire. And as that took place, those people who had the copies of the Hebrew and this is a Torah and the scriptures, the writings that were there in Constantinople, they fled to Europe to protect these sacred writings from the Ottoman Empire. And so all this wealth of information, actual documents that were handed down to the early church people, we'll get and cover this more in when we talk about the Bible, but all these documents fled the country into Europe. And then you had people like John Huss and William Tyndale who said, you know what, I think that everyone should have an understanding of the sacred writings of the Scripture, and so we want to translate them into the language of the common people. And they were killed because of it, because now you're taking our power, our control, and you're giving it back to the people. And so... When William Tyndale copied the scripture from the Greek into English, he took the word ecclesia and translated it as a gathering. But because it was so prominent already in culture, by that time it was so entrenched in the people's mind that church was a building that the translation never made it all the way through, and it remained church from the kircha. So instead of it becoming a gathering, it was still the house of the Lord. And it was one of the casualties that took place through this time in history is that the word meant the building, even though we know it's something else. Now, now, why is this so important? What, what's the big deal talking about this history lesson? Because our perception has been affected by these things of what it is. So we go to church. So where are we going to meet at? Let's meet at the church. And church still has a mentality of a place a building, and we say, well, we are the church, and we say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that means, but it's not something that's put into practice. What is lost is the movement that was taking place, and now it becomes something where we can sit down, we can listen to, and we can not engage, but just be engaged. And so what has happened throughout the centuries is the movement has been stifled with the mentality that we go to church. And so now, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to this church. Oh, why do you go there? Oh, I really like the music. Oh, that's nice. 
Well, I go to this church. Why? Oh, because I really like their children's ministry. Oh, that's cool. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to this church. Why? Oh, I really like the teacher. He's just very dynamic and short and a great guy. (laughs) And so now we go to the place that suits our needs. And what we've done is we've cut the legs off of the movement. Because no longer it is the people moving the message of God that the gates of hell cannot stop. Now we go to a place to listen to messages, to hear different sermons or music, to be engaged, to be maybe even entertained. But we are not seeing ourselves as part of that movement. It's become the church, the place where we go and hear the Word of God instead of us living the Word of God out in our lives. And it happens today even with this awareness and even with this knowledge. The book that we're going through right here, right now, it's all about this. It's about having this mentality of everyone is a missionary. Everyone is called to be a follower of Christ, that there are no ordained or non-ordained Christians. And we've done ourselves a disservice by making church something where we go to be entertained, where we go to get instead of where we go to participate. You see, the people who usually do well in their faith, who are strong in their Christian walk, are those who are involved and engaged, those who are actually serving others, those who are actually participating in the work. They make the connections with other people. They develop the healthy relationships. They are living it out as opposed to those who just go and get something and then leave. And then you get the call, yeah, I'm having problems. There's struggles in my life. There's struggles in my marriage, my kids, my this, my that. I mean, we all have those struggles. But the problem now becomes, I don't know what happened. I don't know why my life is so off track to what it should be. Well, because you're going here thinking this is enough. But going isn't enough. You have to be living. We've said it from the beginning. We don't go to church. We are the church. But even that defies it because the word means the house of the Lord. And so we gather together because we are the movement of Jesus. And we have to change our understanding and our language betrays us. So many times we go back to that preset. This is what I do. This is where I go. This is what it is. And we don't want to be a place. I don't want to be a church. I want us to be a movement. I want us to capture what took place when Jesus changed the lives of those early followers and nothing else was more important. It 
dominated their hearts, their minds, their attitudes, and it affected their jobs and everything that they did, their families, because it wasn't something that they could cut off, go to, stop, and then go back. It was something that was prevalent throughout their lives. And it's real easy. In fact, I was talking to another pastor at uh, Mosaic in Pomona, Nathan. And we were talking about how there is such the tendency to want to redo what's popular in church to get people to go. It's like, well, you know, if we did these things and, and did this kind of thing, we could probably get more people. And when you get more people, you probably get more money. And we could start doing these things, but so much of it is just going against the core of what we want to be. I don't want us to be an organization. I want us to be organized. I want us to have structure. I want our time here together to be meaningful, and I want our kids to be in air-conditioned buildings. I want to be in air-conditioned building too. But I don't want this to become that structure where we lose the heart of what we were created to be. And that is the movement of Jesus. And so there are some things that I want to keep in mind and ask ourselves as we're going through this. First one is, are we moving or simply meeting? Are we actually moving or are we just meeting? Because I don't want us to get into a mentality where we just meet. We get together and that's it. If we're not a movement then we are not the church that Jesus spoke about, the gathering, those people that are going to storm the gates of hell. And so are we moving? And when I say we, then you and I need to break this down personally. Am I a part of the movement or am I just going? And we're glad you're here. But is that what you want? Is it just to meet? See, truthfully, if it was just a meeting, I could use some extra sleep. If I don't get my four hours, I'm useless. I don't want to just meet. I want to be a part of a movement. Are we making a measurable difference in our local communities or are we simply conducting services? And this is something that I always just want to lean into and press into. This is why we're involved with the Healthy Start or Foothill Family Shelter. This is why we've started the grassroots spoken word and why we're trying to do other things that engage our community. I, I don't want us to just be a service. I mean, just that word, service. That's where you take your car to get serviced. And then you sit in the lobby and you 
read the magazines, waiting for your car to be serviced. This is not a, a service. This is a gathering. And having that frame of mind that we gather together to meet the needs of our community. Well, what are those needs? Well, you're the community. Again, I'm not going to lock the Bible to the pulpit or the music stand and tell you this is how we are supposed to do things. What we want to do is empower you to do things. You see, if, if this is as big as my vision. If Genesis is as big as my dream, it will only go so far. But if I include all of your visions and all of your dreams, then we can grow exponentially. I think that's the right way to pronounce it. Then we have a movement because we are involved. And so we can get together and ride mountain bikes. They say they have a bike for me. But then... (laughs) Alex crashed, and I'm like, I'll kill myself. I know I will. (laughs) And then we can get together and knit for a reason. (laughs) Why? Because we are a gathering that has a purpose. And so what effect are we having on our community? And I got to tell you, I'm not satisfied with the measure we're having. Uh, Last, whenever it was, we had that spoken word. Was it last Friday or whenever it was? I got to tell you, I was more energized that Friday night than I usually am on a Sunday morning. Well, I know that's not encouraging. You're talking to us. (laughs) But what I, I saw was more community that took place there that I see take place many times on Sunday morning. And what I saw were a lot of people who weren't people of faith gathering together with people who were people of faith and interacting and now being influenced. And that excites me. I'm even writing a spoken word, poetry. And it doesn't start off with roses or red. It's... Just something that inspired me. It was great. It was encouraging. I want to grow. I don't know if I'll ever share it. Probably not. Just wanted you to know I was trying. Are we organized around a mission or are we organized around antiquated ministry model inherited by previous generations? How much of this is affecting us today is this our model still or can we go all the way back here and allow the mission to be what moves us and motivates us how much of that antiquated idea of going and being a part of a service is still taking part or place in our minds. How much of us are still in that mindset where this is what we do? We go to the place. 
or are we on mission? Are we allocating resources as if Jesus is the hope of the world, or are we the squeaky wheels of church culture driving and budgeting our decisions? You know, one of the reasons that we have not pushed to get a building is because when the money that we have is used just for us, then I've got a problem with it. See, I don't have a problem with getting a building. In fact, it'd be wonderful to have a place. I mean, we, we again, lease the place there on Foothill, and we use that, and it's great. And it would be great to have a bigger place where we could do more things and develop more things for the kids. We would love that. But the minute our money goes into us and not into trying to reach out to the world around us, then I'm, I'll step down. I can't be a part of that. I won't be a part of that. I won't allow the money of Genesis to just be about Genesis. And even now, just the summer, it's been really slow, if I just can be honest with you guys. And I struggle because a lot of the money that we're getting is actually going to my salary. And we don't have a lot of money to go elsewhere. And so I will do more dog training and take a cut in salary because I'm not going to let Genesis just be about me. That horrifies me. It's what I am against. And so what do we have to do to make sure that our resources go towards the kids and the clothes in Mexico or go towards Haiti or help out with the people who are in need in our community? What can we do? That's why we do the Advent Conspiracy. And we can only do what we do together. And it wouldn't take a lot for us to do a lot if we had this kind of mentality where we saw ourselves as a part of that work. I mean, if everyone just gave $40 a week, we'd have three times as much money as we have. Which means 20 times, I don't do fractions, I don't know. But you see, if we have this idea, well, we go to a service, and then, you know, well, ah, the service was okay, I'll give 10 bucks. You know, oh, that was really good today, Sam, here's a 20. You know, I mean, <laughs> if we have that kind of mentality, instead of we're the movement of God and we want to see that movement take place, then our resources will go towards those things that we want to see take place are we ecclesia or have we settled for kirche are we a gathering with a purpose or have we settled to we go to the building we go to the house of the lord it's amazing when you go into europe and you see these churches Westminster Abbey or these other cathedrals and they're just huge 
And a lot of them now are just museums. I remember in Wales, a lot of these magnificent, beautiful churches were restaurants. Because no one's meeting there. It's just a building. And what they thought would be steadfast and strong, they thought they could make that name for themselves, they thought they could push their way and dominate the culture, and the culture has left them behind. And now this left is the building. But the movement hasn't stopped. And it never will. See, the great news is Jesus' words are true. The gates of hell don't stand a chance because the Spirit of God is always working, is always moving, is always prompting our hearts, is always trying to engage us to be a part of who He is and what He's doing. And so it doesn't matter how much this becomes the norm in our society. All it took was 12 people to force Rome to deal with it. I want the world to deal with us. I want to be the kind of people, the kind of movement that has an impact on the world around us, here in Upland or Rancho or Claremont, in this local area. I want our lives to make a difference. And you see, that's why we gather to encourage each other in this movement. I'm not here to give you information. And we'll talk about this more next week. I'm here to help you connect to the living God and fulfill the calling He has for each one of your lives. And you know what that calling is more than anyone else. I can't tell you what that is. And you're saying, I don't know. The reason you might not know is because you're going to church and you're not in the movement. You want to know what the calling of God is in your life? Start moving. Start engaging. Start participating. Start being involved with things that are happening around you. And, and see what sparks interest. It's easier to steer a car when it's moving. If you're just standing there and saying, God, where do you want me to go? He might be saying, just go. Well, where? Right now, just start rolling. And then I'll steer you. And then I'll prompt your heart. And then I'll give you that desire, then I'll, I'll put into your soul the things that are important for you, that I have created you for, these good works that I have ordained, that you would walk in them. You see, some of you have things that you love. Maybe it is spoken word poetry. Maybe it is music. Maybe it is art. Whatever it is, there is something that just you're passionate about. And God is saying, yes, I've given you that passion how can you give it back to me? How can you make your passion a movement and influence the people around you? How can you take the things that I've put in you and bring them out? Because that's what we need to do. Otherwise, we'll just go to church. 
And I got to tell you, there's a lot nicer buildings than this one. <laughs> you know that. There's people that have better speakers. There are people that have a lot of things that you would enjoy more. I'm not here to compete. I'm here to engage. And so I, I, I'm asking you to engage with me. That we would remain a movement and not become church. Let's pray. Father, I think many times we fall back into a mindset that maybe we've heard or are familiar with. And it's so easy to become lazy. It's so easy to want to be served and go to a service. But it costs to be a part of a movement. And that cost takes from us our energy. It takes from us our time. It takes from us our passions. Lord, may we give those to you. May we be a movement and not simply a church. I want to ask you guys one thing too. We're having a baptism at one o'clock. The early followers of Christ would be baptized to make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus. And it was something that was a big deal. Many of them would be ostracized from their family, endanger their lives. I know recently... Mosaic in Hollywood, they have been doing baptisms there at their building and they've been broadcasting them live. And there was one young lady who was a Muslim and her father was very prominent in the government in a Muslim country and they actually shut the feed off for her protection because her getting baptized was a danger to her. But she wanted to do it. If you're wanting to be maybe a part of a movement and you don't know where to start, if you haven't been baptized, maybe that's a place you can start. Is take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of this movement and it'll start by me making a declaration that I'm a follower of Christ and I want to be baptized. You know, it's easy to make rash decisions that we regret. What about making a rash decision that you won't regret? Like being baptized. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to be a part of a movement, and maybe this is an area where you've never been baptized for whatever reason, Jesus commands it. The scriptures command it. Not for salvation, 
for declaration that you are a part of this ecclesia. You are a part of this movement. That you are putting your life aside and taking up the passion of God and living in that. So, Father, I do pray for those who are here this morning who have yet to be baptized and you're moving in their hearts right now, Lord. May they take a step of faith and join us as we celebrate, Lord, the movement you've begun thousands of years ago that you're continuing through us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your faithfulness. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.